that touches our lives right now where we live. And this truth that we're going to grapple with today is so liberating. Help us to grasp it and to believe it. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, I asked you to imagine. What would the, the most perfect version of you be like? So, keep imagining that. And whatever you do, don't shout out any answer to the next question, okay? What would the most imperfect version of you be like? Now, I know I can see some of you are struggling to figure that out, so I'll tell you what a most imperfect version of Raymond would be like. Forget it. There's no way I'm going to do that publicly. But you realize that in our minds, we can conceive of a more perfect version of ourselves, but unfortunately, we can also see a more imperfect version of ourselves. In August last year, a Colorado man strangled his pregnant wife and buried her body in a shallow grave. Then he suffocated his two little girls and stuffed their bodies down through the manhole of oil tanks at the place where he worked. And then he went on camera, begging for them to come back home again. And when he he described his daughters, he said, they're my life. I want them back again. But soon after that, he was arrested, and then he confessed. And they found his pregnant wife with their little baby boy, still unborn baby boy inside of her. In that shallow grave, they had to drain those tanks and they found that he had hurt those little girls' bodies as he stuffed them down through the manhole. And his father was saying, I can't believe he did that. And his co-workers were going, that's not the man we know. Have you noticed whenever something horrendous like that happens and they interview the neighbors, people say, stuff like that doesn't happen in our neighborhood. Except it did. And whenever you find that people are, are, are convicted or, or accused of horrendous crimes, so many people will say, I didn't believe he was capable or she was capable of that. There is something wrong in the core of human beings, and if we're honest, even within ourselves, that we're far, far from perfect. And there's nothing we can do personally to change it. We can manage it with laws. We can manage it with, with, uh, with pharmaceuticals. We can manage it with counseling and, and therapy. But we can't eradicate that terrible thing that has gone wrong inside of us. See, human beings were created as God's image. By the way, as God's image. We were created to reveal who God is in the world. When we rebelled against God, that image was marred terribly marred inside of us so that when the world looks at human beings if there was when the angels look at human beings they're seeing not the image of God but they're seeing creatures that have marred themselves with their sin and with their rebellion and there is no hope for us on our own we cannot change ourselves but because he loves us before he even created the world God had a plan in place and that plan was that he would take our sins And he would place them upon Jesus Christ. And Jesus would be punished in our place. And God opened the door that if we then come before him and we switch our trust from ourselves and trust in Jesus Christ, he is able to forgive our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and adopt us as his children. 
But then he leaves us here. <laughs> It'd be kind of like, all right, take us. At that moment, we believe, out of this world. He didn't do it deliberately for two reasons. One, we got work to do. We're here to continue the work that Jesus placed us on earth to do. But secondly, what God is at work at doing in your life and mine is he's at work changing our character. He is changing you in the sense that he is taking the most imperfect part of you and he is disempowering it. And then he's taking the strengths in you and giving you gifts. And he is growing you into the person he created you to be. And he wants you to become just like Jesus because the more like Jesus you become, the more you become the real you. Because what happens is your darkness goes away and the light of Christ comes in. So... We understand that our mission as a church is this, is to grow a family of people who are becoming more and more like Jesus. When we come together on Sundays, when we come together in our small groups, whenever we get together, we have an agenda. And it's not our agenda, it's God's agenda. God's agenda is that every time we come together, we help one another to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And so that's our passion, that's our mission as a church, to, to do that all along the line. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now the word fruit that he's using there shows up often in John chapter 15. He says, my desire is that you bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit, fruit that will last. And so as you read John chapter 15, you get the idea that whatever fruit is, Jesus wants us to grow it. Okay? What is fruit? Well, the fruit of the vine is grapes. Grapes are to the vine. What the fruit Jesus is speaking about is to us. What is this fruit he's talking about? As you study the Bible, there's two different kinds of fruit that are described there. They overlap one another a lot because they're dependent upon one another. But the one aspect of fruit is the character of Jesus Christ. That what God is doing in our lives right now, and he's doing it whether you and I are aware of it, 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 it's happening to the degree we allow him to do it and we participate with him. He's growing the character of Jesus Christ in us. He is making us more and more like Jesus. The other fruit are new apprentices, new people who are being won into the kingdom of God. And the two of them go hand in hand because when we're becoming more and more like Jesus, we want to see more and more people come into the kingdom. As we become more and more like Jesus, he motivates us to bring more and more people into his kingdom. And so the two of them go hand in hand, but they're two different aspects. And today I just want to focus on one of them, and that is the character of Jesus Christ. And the point is this, and you can go to sleep, here's the sermon idea. God is transforming us to become just like Jesus. If I forget to point it out as we go through this, notice it is always the work of God. We participate. We have responsibility in it. But it is God who initiates. It is God who carries us all the way through. How do we know this? Well, the Holy Spirit wrote this. He said, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been according to his, called according to his purpose. So it doesn't mean that all good things happen in our lives. By the way, let's just settle this forever. Sometimes we try to comfort people. We say, well, everything happens for a purpose. That is absolutely stupid. Everything doesn't happen for a purpose, okay? There are things that go wrong in this world. That woman was killed and her baby's daughters were killed. And you go to them and say, well, everything happens for a purpose. It's like, that is absolute nonsense. That is not God's plan. That is not God's direction. God does not do that. What God does 
is he steps into our lives. And no matter what comes our way, no matter how hard and difficult it is, he will flip it. He will turn what is our enemy into our ally. And he will make it help us. And it will become for our good. If we love him, and if we're called according to his purpose, which means if we love him and we say, okay, God, I want you to accomplish your purpose in my life through this experience right now. What is his purpose? For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There's his purpose. God wants to make us into miniature reproductions of Jesus Christ. That's what God's purpose is. That's what God is doing in your life right now, whether you're aware of it or not. And that's what happens in your life to the degree that you participate. We can resist him. We can slow it down. We can push it back. But God's agenda for your life and mine is to make us into people who are becoming more and more and more just like Jesus Christ all the time. And we're given the honor of being known as his brothers and sisters. But there's a process that God takes us through. Now, don't get lost, but watch. In fact, read with me, okay? So that you don't fall asleep. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. All right, there's a chain of words here that help us to understand that this is the work of God, and it is a work of God that is irreversible. We could spend all day studying all of those words, but I just want to capture a couple of them. For those whom God foreknew means that God starts the process. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, it's not because you chose, but God chose you. God came to you, and he initiated the process to call you. Then he predestined you in his his absolute end goal, which will be accomplished, is that you'll be conformed to the image of his son. And there was a moment in your life when God stepped into your life and he called you. And you responded to his call to salvation. April the 15th, 1965, 9.30 in the evening, Raymond was called by God. And for some reason, Raymond said, yes. I had, you know, it was like the most obvious thing in the world. Why? Because Raymond was wonderful? No. Because at that moment, God stepped in and he called. Some of us can name a date. Some of us can't remember when it happened. But God called and pulled us into his family. And when you responded, he justified you. Justified means he declared you completely forgiven, legally completely forgiven for all of your sins for all time. And then glorified means as far as God is concerned... You now already reside in heaven. See what I mean about words, concepts that are very hard for us to grasp? So let me try and do it visually. So here was you, outside the kingdom of God, dead in your trespasses and sins. But God chose a time in your life when he started the process. Okay? And then he called you to faith in Jesus Christ. And when he called you to faith in Jesus Christ, he declared you to be completely forgiven for your sins because Jesus has paid the punishment for them. And therefore, you could be declared justified. Legally, you are justified. And it is so complete a process that he says, and actually, you are glorified. As far as God is concerned, you have a secure place in heaven, so secure that he speaks about something that is future in our lives in the past tense. Those he justified, he also glorified. It's an absolute work of God that we are there. 
So, with me? As far as God is concerned, when he looks at you and me, he doesn't see us in our sin. He sees us in Christ. He sees us forgiven. But notice, he left us here. He didn't take us out of this world. And so, I don't want you to think we've got a split personality, but I have to put the present image of us over here. God didn't take us straight to heaven the moment we believed. He left us here for those two reasons. One, we to continue the work of Christ. And two, now he's in the process of taking you and me through the difficult process of conforming us to the image of Christ, of changing us so that what is natural and normal to human beings and was true of us in the past becomes less and less of our slave master. And he's transforming us that we become more and more like Jesus Christ. So, becoming like Jesus involves two steps. The first is, I'm liberated from a destructive lifestyle. You and I are naturally, to some degree or another, self-destructive. Follow me around on any day, and you will notice that Raymond reaches for the French fries. You and I are wired to be self-destructive. It's just the weirdest thing. And we're also relationally destructive. We are self-centered, unbelievably self-centered creatures. And so we harm relationships because we make sure all the relationships in the world around us favor us. So to say it another way, God the Spirit renders powerless my self-destructive and relationally destructive tendencies. He renders them powerless. That doesn't mean we cannot empower them again. You'll notice we're told that we, we, our old person, the, the person we were before Christ, has been crucified, dead. But what you and I do is we go to that cross, take that dead body off, drape it around ourselves, and walk around like that. Another way of understanding it, we are new creations, completely new creations in Christ Jesus. But we still live in an old creature, a mind and a body that is tuned to the old way of living. And so the Bible describes us as being stuck in a civil war where the new creation inside of us and the old creature within whom we live are at battle with one another. In the book of Galatians, Paul describes, first of all, how God liberates us, what God liberates us from. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, flesh, rather than serve one another, rather serve one another in love. What's translated in the New International Version as sinful nature is actually the Greek word flesh. And flesh describes us in our self-centeredness, our self-loving, our selfishness that, that completely governs our lives and will completely govern our lives to the degree that we let it. Book of Romans tells us that we used to be slaves to this flesh, this self-centered creature that I was born in. We used to be slaves to it, but once we believe in Jesus Christ, we are no longer enslaved by it. We can now enslave ourselves to righteousness. Now, that's news we don't want to hear. It's like, no, I want to be able to blame, blame Satan. I want to be able to blame temptation. I want to blame somebody else. Remember a baby's diaper I saw that had printed on the back of it? The devil made me do it. You and I don't want to really believe what we're taught in, in the book of Romans and what his statement here. We're free. We've been liberated from the, 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 the slavery to that old fleshly person. Instead, and it's interesting, notice, woven through this, is keep speaking about what we do to one another. Rather than serving myself, 
we should serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. And we go, no, I like that part. I love myself. Okay, I can do that part. Said, no, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. And you think, well, that's not talking about Christians. That's talking about people who are not Christians. Excuse me, the book of Galatians was written to Christians. We're going to cover this in, in a couple of weeks' time, but understand this, that the letters of the New Testament were written to socialize us. The letters of the New Testament were written to teach us how we should really live as God's children, because we don't know how to do that. And our natural tendency is to bite and devour one another. We're like little jackals. We're like little creatures that run around looking for a reason to be critical of somebody else, looking for a reason to judge somebody else, looking for a reason to come up with negatives. We can do that easy. Have you ever noticed that? All right, see, I'm confessing my sins again. But think about how easy it is for you to be critical of somebody else. I won't go there. All right, biting and devour, destroying each other. He says, so I say by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under law. Okay, so watch that. That there's, once you become a follower of Jesus Christ, the civil war starts. And there's things inside of you you want to do that you didn't care about before. My cousin, uh, cousin's husband, Titch, was a, was a, forgive me if you smoke pot, but he was a really heavy pot smoker. And then he became a Christian. And nobody ever said to him, Terry, you need to stop smoking pot. But about three weeks into being a Christian, he came to me one day and he said, I think I need to quit smoking pot. <laughs> and I said, why? He said, I don't know. Just, I think I need to stop. Beforehand, eh, smoking pot, way I live, love it. Now he's going, I think I need to stop. Why? Because now the Spirit of God was working inside of him, and now the civil war was starting. (laughs) He thought that was the only struggle he was going to have. Oy, there's a lot of them to come when the Spirit of God begins to work with us. And there's this conflict going inside. There's things I want to do because God is now inside of me, but I don't want to do it because I'm still living in this old creature. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. And it's interesting that they fall into several categories. So I just put them into those categories. Perverted sexual behavior, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. They get worse as you go. Sexual immorality of all kinds is covered here. It's the word from which the Greeks got the word for prostitute. And so it's talking about any kind of sexual immorality, anything that's outside the boundaries that God set of a man and a woman who are married that now have sex together. Any, 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 any other expression of sex outside of those boundaries is immoral and forbidden by God. And you'll notice at the end of this, it's going to say, those who live like this will never inherit the kingdom of God. Not talking about those who fall into sin, but those who commit themselves, I'm going to live this way, I'm going to live in sexual immorality. Impurity is when we live in a way that is wrong but we're proud of it. Have you ever noticed that? Gay pride parades. We could also have heterosexual pride parades. People could parade around. There's stuff that we used to do in hidden places that now we're proud about and we brag about it and elevated to the top echelons. 
That's the kind of impurity that comes out of this flesh. In case you're wondering what the flesh is like, that's where it leads us to. Debauchery. You know what debauchery is? Just go to a college campus and watch what happens when kids leave home and come to a place where there's nobody telling them how to live. And what do they do? They debauch. They immediately give themselves over to everything that the flesh wants them to do. They've all of a sudden, I've got to drink. I've got to drink a lot. I've got to drink till I fall down and vomit. I've got to drink until I completely collapse. That's what I'm going to do. That's called debauchery. That's where there's no restraints. I can sleep with everybody I want to sleep with all the guys and the girls. I can do whatever I want because I'm not free. No, you're not. When you're doing that, you're doing damage to yourself, to your own body, to your own soul, to your own spirit. He says that's what happens if you let the flesh govern you. Daily religious practices, idolatry. He said, well, we don't worship idols. Yes, we do. We have our careers that we worship. We have our homes that we worship, our cars that we worship, our 401ks. We have all kinds of things that we can turn into gods. And witchcraft, the interesting thing is witchcraft in those days was usually connected to drugs. They believed that you connect with the gods by taking drugs. And when you take drugs, you have an out-of-the-body experience, and that's how you encounter the gods. So we do a lot of witchcraft in this country today. Why do you think the cartels send all of their stuff to America? Because we're idiots. We buy it. We buy it, and we consume it, and we destroy ourselves, and we destroy our families, and we know it's going to destroy us. And what do we do? We do it. Snort the cocaine. Just why? Well, how? It makes me feel good. That's the flesh, okay? We get an idea what flesh is like? Destructive relationships, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. Remember, he's talking to Christians. And he's telling us, if you allow your flesh to govern you, that's the kind of stuff that can show up in our lives. What's the difference between jealousy and envy? By the way, all of these things overlap one another. Ever thought about the difference between jealousy and envy? Jealousy is you've got something and I wish I had it. Envy is you've got something and I wish you didn't have it. I wish that you were not having that heavy, happy experience inside of you. We've all got this, this potential inside of us and, and we're being warned by God the Holy Spirit. Be careful because this wants to govern your life. This wants to rule you. And then there's self-destructive habits, drunkenness, orgies, or carousing. We're back to the college campus again, and the like. In other words, he's saying, and the like says, this is just a suggestive list. This is not an exhaustive list. If you allow that old creature that you live in to govern your life, that's the kind of self-destructive habit that you're going to fall into. He says, I warn you, as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not talking about the fact that all of us stumble into sin and fall into sin from time to time. He's saying people whose lives are committed to living like that will not inherit the kingdom of God in order to scare us, in order for us to go, Oi, who's governing my life? Is God governing my life that I'm becoming more and more like Jesus? Or am I just letting my flesh govern my life? Once we have become believers in Jesus Christ... We're emancipated from that so that we don't have to become the worst possible version of ourselves. But we can become the best possible version of ourselves because God's agenda from the moment you believe in Jesus Christ is to grow within you the character of Jesus Christ. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit. See, now we're back to fruit. But the fruit, and by the way, it's not plural. It doesn't say the fruits 
of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. And what he's going to give is also just suggestive, but it's all interconnected. It's like a bunch of grapes. All of these pieces start to grow inside of us, and they grow together, and they grow slowly, and they mature to the degree we let them go. And I strung them together just so that we get that thought. That if we let the Spirit of God have access to us and change us from the inside out, we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. By the way, that last one, self-control, the literal translation of that is sound mind. Because he starts in here. And he begins to change us from the inside out. We get self-control because our minds are being translated. The love of God, the love that, that, that will not let me go, that's what that love is like. The joy of God, that deep serenity, that in unhappy times, you've got that deep serenity. I've been at the bedside of people who were dying, believers who were dying, and there's joy. It's the most amazing thing. And peace is related. They overlap one another. And patience, the ability to bear with people that you can't stand. The ability to just go that extra mile and like, oh, I can't stand this person. And then kindness. The ability not just to bear with somebody you can't stand, but to do something nice for them and step into their lives. Goodness, the, the expression of the nature of God. Faithfulness, commitment, and I keep my commitments. Gentleness, I love gentleness. It's, it's soft strength. It was the, the soldiers in the Greek army made it their objective to become gentle. And you go, are you kidding? Nope. Gentleness is a person who's got his rage under control. He's got his strength under control. Think of the soldiers who stand outside the queen's uh, gate with their stupid hats on. And people mock them all the time. And that guy's got a loaded gun. I mean, think about it. There are bullets in that rifle at his side. And they make fun of him. Okay? And normally you'd want to take that gun and go... But he's gentle. He's able to keep his rage under control. And then self-control is he starts on the inside and he begins to change our minds, begin to change how we think. He says, against such things there is no law. I love it. (laughs) There's no law that's going to stop you loving or having joy or peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. There's no law against you growing like this. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's a choice that we make, that I'm going to choose where and how I'm going to live. He says, so since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is a military term. And in the military, you have to keep in step. You're taught that when the cadence is given, that's the cadence you march to. And so the problem is we have two different cadences in our lives. We have the Spirit of God setting the cadence and telling us this is how you should live. And we have the flesh saying, no, 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 I like living like this. And the choice is who we're going to listen to. Which one of the cadences are we going to march to? All right, now, the thing to me that was an enormously important thing to grasp is that this process of shifting us away from the destructive habits and moving us toward the Christ-like habits is a process. Fruit takes time to grow. Ever notice that? You plant a fruit tree and you stand back and go, okay, hello, where are my lemons? It takes a while for that fruit to grow. And God even tells us that. That growth is incremental and inexorable. Now notice those two words. 
It's incremental in that it happens steadily and slowly, but it's inexorable. It's going to happen. God the Father's intention for you and me is that we become like Jesus Christ. And you don't have a choice. We can't go, "Mm mm-mm, why would I want to become like Jesus? God says, tough. The moment you let me into your life, everything has changed. Again, we grow at the speed at which we grow. A plant has to get sunshine, it has to get moisture in order for it to grow. You and I have to embed ourselves in Jesus Christ. And the more deeply we embed ourselves in Christ, the more we graft ourselves into him, the more this process happens, the more the change happens. It's, in, it's incremental, it happens slowly, but it's inexorable because God, Hebrews chapter 12 says, we say to God, no, mm-mm, nope, not going to do it. And he steps into our life as our father and as our coach and he goes, okay, then I'm going to put you through hardship. I'm going to put you through difficulties. I'm going to scourge you. The word is there, by the way. I'm going to punish you. Because once you become my child, I am a responsible parent. You are going to grow, whether you like it or not. And in fact, one of the most terrifying warnings in the scriptures is that there were Christians who said, no, 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 no to God. And God said, okay, you're out of here. Took their lives. Now, now listen very carefully. That does not mean if a Christian dies, you go, hey, I wonder what sin he committed. Okay? If God took us out of this world when we sinned, there'd be nobody here this morning, okay? Except maybe you. Nobody. We'd all be gone completely. But God says, I will discipline you. And Paul warns, 1 Corinthians, James warns, watch out. Because if you consistently, as a child of God, resist him, he may terminate your physical life if you continue to resist him. So don't think you can say to God, eh, I'm not going to grow. I'm not going to change. He's going, yeah, yes, he will. And it happens inexorably and incrementally. Paul says, now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Remember this? Once you believe in Jesus Christ, His Spirit comes to live inside of you and me. And He liberates us from the penalty of sin. We're given heaven. But He liberates us also from the power of sin. So that we can choose to live the way God wants us to live. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. I love that that statement, that God is at work in your life and mine, and he is working to transform us from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory to make us to become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing, and the degree to which we change is entirely dependent on us walking in step with the Spirit and letting Christ impregnate us with his, his holiness. We believe that the way we get to that place where we are a church that is growing a family of people who are becoming more and more like Jesus is that all of us make this commitment. I must cultivate a life-receiving relationship with Christ Jesus. Just as the branches of a vine gain life from the stem of the vine, we have to be there and we have to be tapped into the life of Christ that is in there. And then the growth starts to happen. We have just started our divorce care program again, and thank you for supporting that. Uh, I just wish there was a way that people could hear how deep the pain is in the hearts and lives of people who are going through divorce. I mean, really, you sit there and go, oh, ah, the hope that we have when we're going through those kind of experiences in life, is that God has not abandoned us. 
but that God is there. And that's why we're so thankful that we have this ministry to be able to take people who are in their deepest pain that possibly they've known in their lives and bring them to the only one who can strengthen them, who can help them to, to survive this period of time. And what's interesting is some of the people who are coming are alumni. They went through the program before. They've come back because they want to go through it again. And one of the cool things is they're coming back because of the relationship they developed with the other people. So it's like, yes, that's, that's, that's how God intends the church to function. But the interesting thing is one of our alumni come back, came back with her daughter. And a few months ago when she came in with her daughter, her daughter was here. When she walked through the door, her daughter was here. I can't believe. Just in a few months, she's grown two inches. Sometimes you and I grow because of an experience in our lives. But most of the time, it's he's growing us steadily, steadily, steadily as we cultivate our relationship with Christ. We're going to see that this is vital, not just for our own lives, but for the lives of people around us. That steadily but surely, Christ is revealed when his people are growing to become more and more like him. And understand again, and this is just one of those thoughts that, that to me is, is, is mind-boggling. The more you become like Jesus, the more you become you. The more you become like Jesus, the more you become the real version of you that God created. Because what happens is that the flaws of the flesh are steadily taken away if we let God do it. And the strengths of God the Spirit are built into us so that he reshapes us and you become the you that God intended right from the beginning. We'll never become deities, and the job is not finished until we go to be with Jesus Christ. But God the Father is at work in our lives right now to take us incrementally and inexorably toward the place where we individually share in the character of Christ. So let's pray right now, and I'll ask you just to tap into the Spirit of God inside of you. And the Spirit of God basically says to us in Ephesians chapter 5, let me in. Let me fill you. Let me flow in you the way sap flows from the stem into the branches of a vine. Let me come in and set you free from your self-destructive and others' destructive behaviors. Let me come in and build into you the character qualities of Jesus Christ. Father God, from what we understand, you're already doing that. You are already changing us, transforming us. I pray that you would help us to accelerate the process ourselves by abiding in Christ by living in that day by day all day relationship with him so that for our benefit for the benefit of our families and for the benefit of the world around us we become more and more like Jesus thank you for giving us this honor and thank you in Christ's name amen